welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Matthew chapter 5. Today we continue our series going through the book of Matthew, the title, The Savior King and His Kingdom. And we've spent, uh, gosh, it's been a couple of months now in the Beatitudes. So we come to the end of the Beatitudes today. One of the things that causes some people to struggle with Christianity, and I can say from a personal standpoint, I struggled with this, is that, is that the, the, it contains many paradoxes. <clears throat> Excuse me. The dictionary defines paradox as a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet is perhaps true. Well-known example of that in the Bible is Matthew 16, 25. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. There's a, there's a, a, a seemingly, a, 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 something that looks like a contradiction. Now, as Christians, we would actually change the definition of the word paradox as it relates to biblical things. If, you're, if my definition I would use, a biblical paradox is a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet is true. We know that God's word is true. So when we come to a seemingly contradictory or, or a, a statement that doesn't seem to line up with common sense, we always come back, we default to the position that it is true. We've been wrestling with one of those paradoxes on, on, at the uh, Wednesday night study. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. The answer is all the same. There's only one answer. And I am expecting a vocal response. Okay, have I made that clear? Is God good? Yes. <sighs> what a good church. Is God always good? Yes. Is God holy? Yes. Is God always holy? Yes. Is God righteous? Yes. Is God always righteous? Yes. Does God always do the right thing? Yes. With that in mind, I'm going to read a verse to you. In Exodus 4, 21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt and see, see that you do all these, those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. If God hardened Pharaoh's heart, is he good? Yes. Yes. Yes, that's a hard one. People have wrestled with this concept, with this text for two, well, many thousands of years, all the way back to when Moses first wrote it. When we come to these paradoxes, 
these paradoxes in Scripture, they remind us something about God. God doesn't think the way that we do. He doesn't act the way that we do. But he never stops being good or holy or righteous or do the right things. So when we come to something like this, what it reminds us, okay, it reminds us that he is perfect, we are not. When we come to these things and we're conflicted in them, and, they're, and they're, they're not, that's not the only one, there's lots of them in the Bible, where we come to them, when we, we come to this place of, of, of being conflicted, we must always back up and remind ourselves that the problem is not with God. The problem is with me. The problem is with my understanding of God and his word. Because he's bigger than us, right? God is big. And he does things that we don't understand for reasons that we don't understand. And even if he explained it to us, we still wouldn't understand it. That excites me. That excites me when I come to something about God that I don't understand. That means there's still more for me to learn about him, to know him better, to draw closer to him through a knowledge of him and his word. And I can learn more about my Savior, and I can walk with him more intimately. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look at one of those paradoxes this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you now, and thank you for your presence here. And as we get into this, what, what for some is, is, a, is, a, is a complicated topic, I pray that, that right now you would give us peace of heart, that as we get into this topic of persecution, that we would rest in you, in your sovereignty, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, and that our hearts and minds would be open to what you would say to your church here today. And that remind us that, that, that your will for us is good. And so we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And we pray, Lord, for anyone who's here, for whatever reason that they're here, for whatever things they, they brought into this building or, or as they're sitting at home watching this, whatever reason, whatever thing is, is going on with them, Lord, that they would allow their heart and mind to be at peace with you and, and, just, and just rest for this short period of time as we get into your word and we learn more about you and that we maybe we, we spend some time in this paradox, but in the end of it, we remind ourselves that you are good, you are holy, you are righteous, and you always do what is right, even when we can't see it or understand it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to come to this end of this little mini-series, this eight-message eight mini-series through the Beatitudes as we're here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll, we'll move forward on the, in the Sermon on the Mount for the rest of the, well, for the rest of ever. It won't take that long, but it's going to take a little while, so we're not rushing through it. So we're going to read our text for today, and then we'll come back and look at it again. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the previous Beatitudes, we were called to be peacemakers. And, and it's interesting how 
how the call to be a peacemaker and then the, 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 the beatitude of persecution follows immediately on the heels of being called to be peacemakers. Because here's the deal. If you're called to be a peacemaker, who are you called to make peace with? Well, first with God. And then with others. And then to make peace with those others to God. You're called to be involved in the process of leading people to a place where they meet their God. And they're brought to a place where they can understand that they're not at peace with God. They're at enmity with God. They're an enemy of God. And therefore, they need to make peace with God. Well, there are some people that don't appreciate that. Can we acknowledge that? There's some people that do not want to hear the fact that, they're, that, that they are an enemy of God. I'm not an enemy of God. Well, are you one of his children? No. Well, then you're an enemy of God. The Bible's very clear on that. Now, we can be, hopefully, you'll be a little more gentle than that, because if you don't, then you actually will deserve some persecution. But that's, that's another conversation. We want to help people be at, be at peace with God. That's our, that's, I mean, once you have peace with God, that's one of your greatest desires, is, is that others would have peace with God too, right? I mean, am I, am I speaking, you know, English here? <laughs> I hope so. You know, and even though we're seeking their good, right? Because is that, is that not the greatest good? Them to be at peace with God, that's the greatest good that anybody can experience. And, and even though we are seeking their good, they may interpret it completely differently, interpret it differently than that. They may, they may interpret it as evil. As, as, as if we are judging their lives, which in fact we are. Because if they're, if they're opposed to God, then, then their, their, their life is not right. God knows that. The Bible teaches it. We know that. The Holy Spirit is trying to convince them of that. And when we try to tell them that, they're going to have a problem with it. Paul talked about how, how the, the, those that we are walking amongst, how they perceive us as they're doing. This is one of those radical verses that I think we sometimes miss or we don't, don't talk about enough. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. You know you have triumph in Christ. You are victorious in Christ. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Good job. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. We carry a fragrance with us as we go out into this world. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. We take the same fragrance out to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. We take the fragrance of Christ out into the world. But here's how it's responded to. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. When we carry the aroma of Christ out into the world, we come to those who know Christ. They sense the aroma of Christ and it speaks to them of life. But to those who are perishing, the very same aroma, the exact same aroma is the aroma of death, a very specific death, the death that they are racing toward, the eternal separation from God. They know it. They sense it in their very spirit. Now, they can't, they may not be able to articulate that, but something about you stinks. And it is the fragrance of Christ. But when we get saved, that fragrance of death turns into the fragrance of life. 
and that we carry that out. As Christ followers, we carry the life-giving fragrance, the aroma of Christ out into this lost world. And those walking in darkness, that life-giving aroma or fragrance of Christ smells like death. Smells like the death that they'll experience for all eternity unless they repent. Anyone who chooses to live according to God's will is going to conflict with those who are living according to their own will. It, they have to. If we choose to live according to God's will and we come up we, and we start to interact with those who are living according to their will, there's going to be a conflict of some kind because God's will and their will is not the same. And there's going to be a conflict. Paul said this is inevitable. In 2 Timothy 3.21, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will sometimes have a little bit of trouble. No, will suffer persecution. Somebody say, yay. No, don't say it because you don't want it. Don't say hallelujah to that. Don't even say amen to that. It's true. Living and walking in the light will cause the light to shine out of us. We can't help it. I mean, we don't have to be evangelists. We don't have to be you know, street corner preachers. We don't have to do any of that stuff. If you live according to God's will, God's light will shine out of you and you are carrying the aroma of Christ everywhere you go. You can't help it. If you're living according to God's will, the world is gonna know it. Even though they may not be able to explain it or understand it, they're gonna know it. And this world... They don't like the light. The people that are, that are living in this world, they don't like the light because they, they prefer the darkness of sin and evil and wickedness. John three nineteen and 20. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Notice that, hate the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Those who are practicing evil, those are, and the idea of practicing evil means that, they, that they, they are living a very determined behavior. They're living a life that is evil, and they have, they have no desire to change, have no intention of changing, and don't believe they have to change. They're going to do what they want to do, and it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says. Those who are doing that, they're going to respond to your light. They're going to respond to your good. To them, your good is evil. And if you're living according to these traits that, that Jesus is telling us about here in the Beatitudes, if you're allowing those traits to manifest in you, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. And their hatred may manifest in persecution. To live if you live to please God, your life will be an offense to anyone who is living to please themselves. It's just the reality. Let's read verse 10 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, what I, what I want you to not miss here is this is not saying that all persecution is good or blessed by God. For example, it does not say that you will be blessed if you are persecuted for being a jerk or being a nuisance or being, you know, a, a, you know, a gossip or whatever it is you're doing. If you're just being obnoxious and you get persecuted for it, well, that's what you deserve. So, you know, don't whine and complain about it. There's no blessing that comes from that. The blessing comes when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That means because we're doing the right thing. Which right thing? God's right thing. When we're doing what God wants, God's will, God's desire, God's heart for us and for this world, when we're doing that and we're persecuted, that's when the blessing comes in. Too many people are, you know, are associating you know, their tribulation or their trials or their hard things of life as persecution. No, it's not persecution. It's when somebody's coming against you because you believe in Jesus, because you believe God's word is true, because you believe these things that God is calling us to do are the right things to do, and then you do them. When, that, when they persecute you for that, that's when God smiles upon your life. Notice this here, it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's how the first beatitude ended as well. They're bookends. They all go together. The first beatitude and the eighth beatitude, they all go together. You can't separate them. Together, they describe the character of a Christ follower. If we want to know that we know that we're following Christ, these are the character traits that we ought to be looking for in our own life. And we are allowing God to manifest in us and to grow in us and to change us through the working of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit and the influence of Christ in our lives. This is how we should walk as we are waiting for Jesus to come back and get us. We're waiting for that, right? Say, say yes. Jesus, come quickly, we might say today. Jesus told us that this might not be easy. Living this life might not be easy. The world might object to your Christ-like behavior. How do we know that? Well, they objected to his. That's how we know that. They objected to him speaking truth. They objected to him doing good. Verse 11 gives us three ways the world might respond to your Christ-like walk. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Notice the, in verse 10, it was for righteousness' sake. And in verse 11, it's for my sake. My is whom? Jesus, good, good children's ministry class. Jesus, that's a good answer. It's always, the right, it's always a good answer. It may not always be the right answer, but it's always a good answer. Three things he says. First one is reviling. Now, again, a lot of words that are in the Bible we, from English speakers, we don't use them all the time. But to revile is to insult or denounce, to harshly criticize, to find fault with real or merely perceived faults in a false, in a harsh and demeaning manner. Can, it, can we say that that kind of thing is going on in the world right now? We used to be a civil people. 
People would, would speak and they, they would disagree, but they would be civil about it. We are way past that. Has anybody, anybody noticed that? There is no civility out in the world. People are mean, nasty, harsh. And I like the way it says, you know, find fault with real or merely perceived faults. People are looking at something and they, and they will see something and they think, well, I, I think that's evil. And they just like, they'll look, I mean, it becomes this huge deal when something's not even true. Christians are often criticized harshly for things that we believe. One is, you know, we are criticized as not caring for women when we say it's not good for a woman to murder her baby in the womb. We're criticized as not loving women, not caring for women. Listen, a woman who ends the life of her child is at risk of spending eternity separated from God in judgment. I care about that deeply. I don't want her to do that. I don't want her to experience that. What about the baby? Well, the baby, even though it didn't take a single breath, is with Jesus. I, I, well, I, I don't want them to do it. It's evil. It's wrong. No, Jesus never talked about abortion. Uh, well, yeah, actually, he talked about murder. Don't do it. But they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna find something. They're going to find some way to criticize us. And if they can't, they'll, well, we'll get to that one later. Second one, persecution. Persecution is to systematically oppress and harass, to become subject to systematic harassment and attack due to one's religious beliefs. True persecution must be attached to your faith. You know, people can persecute you for all, all sorts of reasons, but the kind of persecution that, is, that is, falls under the category of this beatitude is that is directly connected to what you believe. And it comes because the world believes that, you know, that you're too close to Jesus. You're too close to being like Jesus. You know, you're, or or you, you believe something they don't believe, and what you believe is what God's Word says. Persecution of God's people by the wicked in this world has gone on for a long time. Started all the way back in the beginning when Cain killed Abel. That was religious persecution. And it will continue until Jesus comes back and fixes it all. All through the Bibles, there are examples of the wicked persecuting the righteous. The most heinous of those persecutions was the execution of Christ. The perfect, sinless Savior of the world. Listen, persecution is something we should, we should know. That's a, that's a part of our faith. That's, that is something that as believers, it, it, the, the likelihood of persecution is high, especially in a country that is rapidly moving away from any kind of, of morality and ethics that, that Bible-based anything, anything that the Bible says, they're moving in the opposite direction in many cases and things that are evil and wicked. And if we stand up and say, hey, that's evil and wicked, there's a chance that we're gonna experience persecution. 
We should have no expectation, no expectation that as a Christ follower that we will somehow escape persecution. No expectation of that. In John 15, 18 through 20 says this, Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Catch that? If you were just like the world, the world wouldn't care about you. It would just, just ignore you. Yet, because you are not of the world, we are out, while we're in the world, we're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Listen, we should never expect to be somehow you know, to be immune to persecution. And sadly, there are churches all around us that are giving people the sense that, that we should not experience persecution. Well, well, they're trying to teach them how not to experience persecution. And it's ultimately how not to be a Christ follower. You, you want to be a Christ follower, you might be walking right straight into persecution. But to avoid it, you just don't do the things that Christ would tell you to do. And you can avoid, you might be able to avoid persecution. Listen, God is sovereign. Somebody say yes, amen. God is sovereign. He is in control. He will choose who will experience persecution. He will choose it. If you experience persecution because of your faith, because of righteousness' sake, because of Christ's sake, it's because God chose you for that. And if he chooses you for it, his grace will enable you to endure it. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of persecution. We don't have to be worried about it. We don't have to wonder about it. We only need to be faithful to God. What does God say? What does God want? God wants me to speak, I speak. God wants me to go, I go. God wants me to do, I do. But, what, what if? My response when somebody asks me a question, well, what if a meteor falls through the roof and kills us all? You know, you can wonder about all the what ifs all you want, but the matter, the question is, what did God say? If God said, what else matters? Does persecution matter? No. But I don't want to, perse I don't want to be persecuted. Well, neither do I. I don't want to be persecuted. You don't need to be afraid. Just be faithful to God and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. God's will cannot lead us where his grace cannot protect us. If his will leads us someplace, his grace can protect us there. And he will allow us and help us to endure it. We just have to believe it. The third thing, third thing. He says, and say, they will say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my namesake. Another, another word we might use is slander. The wicked of this world want to silence God's people. They cannot stand it when we speak truth. We've experienced that in this church. We, are now, we now live stream on Rumble. Do you know Why? 
because YouTube can't stand it when we speak truth. Okay, fine. We'll go someplace where we can speak truth. And, and here's the deal. If they can't find something to criticize you of you and ridicule you and to mock you of, they'll make something up. They'll just make it up. You know, they don't care about truth. Truth is absolutely irrelevant to them. If they can silence you, they will use any tool available to silence you. One of the most common one now is screaming and yelling. You know, they're, you know, you know, conservative voices are going into college campuses and having them having the speakers screamed down by by people that don't agree with their their opinions. That's persecution. Some of it's religious, some of it's just conservative. That's happening regularly in our culture. And it's going to get worse because the people that are in power are endorsing it and encouraging it. And you know what? When you encourage something, you know what happens? More of it happens. When you incentivize something, more of it happens. People are accusing people of evil without any regard to whether or not the accusation is true. And you know what? The, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to use a politically correct term. No, I'm not. The, the lying media is just buying it and repeating it. Not just repeating it, they're magnifying it. You know what you should do with, with modern news outlets? Block them. Turn them off. All they're doing is lying over and over and over again. They find a lie and they just all repeat it to one another and it's, it's wicked. Why do they do that? Why would they do that? Well, it's very simple. They're trying to, you know, slander. The, the point of slander is to ruin something, someone's reputation so that no one will listen to them. They're trying to silence an opposing viewpoint. I grew up, many of us grew up in a time where, okay, people had different opinions. We all, we, we disagreed on stuff. Okay, we could do that. And no, I know they're wrong, but I, can, I, I don't have to hate them because they're wrong. Today, if, if you disagree with somebody, it's an act of hate to them. And they'll respond accordingly. That's the world we're living in. Our text ends with an amplification of this paradox, verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, now get this. This is not a command to enjoy persecution. Nowhere does the Bible say that we should enjoy pain, suffering, persecution. Nowhere. It would be perverse to enjoy pain and suffering. It would be bizarre, weird, wrong to enjoy pain and suffering. We go through it, and it's miserable, but nowhere does the Bible say we should be okay about it. We should be happy in that pain and suffering. Persecution, especially, is neither something to be enjoyed nor sought after. There are, there are, there are people 
that are saying, you know what? You know what? If you're not experiencing persecution, you're not much of a Christian. Excuse me? That takes God completely out of the equation. It means I gotta get, if I'm not being persecuted, I, I, need to go, I need to go chase some persecution down. I need to go to persecution R us or something. I don't know. I need to find you know, persecution.com so I can you know, find me some persecution. No, that's not right. Persecution. We, don't, we shouldn't be seeking it. What should we be seeking? God. We seek God. We obey God. We, we listen and do what God calls us to do. Maybe persecution will come, but we don't, we don't, we're not looking for it. What am I looking for? I'm looking for Jesus. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. There are others who would tell us that we should never experience persecution. My response to them is, have you read the Beatitudes? Have you, you read where it says actually that we will experience persecution? And not just here, lots of places. Now, we don't enjoy persecution. We don't enjoy that. But at the same time, we're not afraid of it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. What should we do? It says here, we should rejoice. We should rejoice when we suffer persecution in Christ's name. Why? Well, because your reward in heaven is great. I, I don't know what a reward is in heaven. I don't know exactly what it is. Nowhere does the Bible actually explain what that is. But a, a great reward? Sign me up. I want that great reward. We should rejoice. He's saying here that one of the reasons why we should rejoice is it puts us in fellowship. The Bible tells us that when we suffer in Christ's name, when we experience persecution because we've done what God calls us to do, we've done what the Holy Spirit has led us to do, then, then we, are, we are in fellowship with Christ in his suffering. We should rejoice in that. It also puts us in the, in the company of great men and women of the Bible and in history who suffered in the name of Christ. It means we have the un speakable privilege of having fellowship in Christ's suffering. Philippians 3.10, the apostle Paul, who knew a little bit about suffering, that I may know him, persecution also, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Jesus died, experienced suffering and persecution so that we could be saved. Amen? Hallelujah? You know, that's a good thing, right? Jesus died so that we could be saved. He experienced persecution at a level that we never will. He experienced that for us. Is it unreasonable for us to experience persecution for his sake? No. We should rejoice when we're given the opportunity to suffer for Christ. We should rejoice. Again, we don't look for it. We don't chase after it. But if it happens, remember the Peter and some of the, uh, the apostles, you know, they're preaching Jesus on the Temple Mount. They're healing people. And the religious leaders haul them in and say, hey, what are you doing? 
well, we're just preaching Jesus. Well, stop it. Stop it. Locked them up. Angel said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. You go back out there. Let's them go. They go back on the Temple Mount, and they start teaching and preaching again. The religious leaders haul them in. Said, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And they said, uh, you know what? Should we obey God or you? And that wasn't enough, so they beat them and let them go. And you know what, the, what Peter and the apostles did? They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to experience suffering in the name of Christ. They rejoiced. Now, I'm guessing they weren't smiling as they were being beat, okay? But they got to the other side of it, and they rejoiced. They had to recognize we were counted worthy. God, in his sovereignty, said, you are worthy to experience suffering in the name of Christ. Now, our suffering cannot, will not ever compare with what Christ experienced. Not even close. We're going to close with a scripture here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Listen, listen. Sometimes life is going to be tough. Sometimes the world is going to look at you and say, mm, I don't like that. And, I might have, and they might do something that is evil and wicked towards you. They may persecute you. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Yes, you may have to suffer. You may have to experience pain and suffering. You may have to deal with relationships that are, that are not good or, or finances or, or jobs or something that, are, that you're experiencing persecution in those things that should be good, should be right, should be edifying, and yet you're experiencing hardship and persecution in those things. The outward man may be perishing, but if we're, if we're faithful to God, the inward man or woman, person, being, whatever term you want to use, is being renewed. For our light affliction, this is the Apostle Paul again, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, compared to eternity. Anything you experience in this life is but a moment compared to eternity. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When we are experiencing those hard things, we're experiencing persecution, we're experiencing somebody just resisting us or saying wrong things or bad things about us, we need to remember this is just a moment in time. And, and in heaven... When we get to heaven, whatever, whatever reward that's attached to us being faithful to God is eternal, never ends. And we should remember that in the midst of the hard things that might come. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary and the things which are not seen are eternal. In this world, if you choose to walk with Christ, if you choose to walk in the light, to walk in the truth, to walk according to God's word, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you may 
experience persecution. Now, God's sovereignty may keep you from that. That's his choice to make. And you can ask him, God, keep me from persecution, but more importantly, keep me in your will. Now, I don't want to experience persecution, but I, my desire is to walk according to his will. If, that, if his will leads me into persecution, I'm okay with that. Well, kind of. I will rejoice. We should prepare ourselves for that. No, no Christian should be surprised when persecution comes. Yet they often are. I don't know what's going on, Pastor. They're persecuting me. Well, are you a Christ follower? Yes. Well, what do you expect? They persecuted him. Why would they not persecute you? Who do you think you are? We should prepare ourselves. We, should, we, don't need to, we don't need to be fixated on persecution. We need to be fixated on Christ. We need to be fixated on, on, on God's will in doing that, but we also ought to be prepared in our hearts saying, hey, the reality is persecution may come. And we're living in a country, we're living in a state where, where they are literally passing laws that, will, that enable persecution of Christians. They hate us. You know why they hate us? Because we are light. And their darkness is so dark. And they're leading us down a path where persecution is, is possible, is highly possible. We're not to be afraid of that. Not to be afraid. We should be prepared. Listen, if you know persecution is a possibility and it happens, then you're going to say, oh, well, I hate this. I really do hate this. But when I get to the other side of it, I'm going to try to rejoice and, and be exceedingly glad in it today. That may be really hard, but on the other side of it, I will. Listen, when you are experiencing persecution for righteous sake, in the, in the name of Christ, you are walking in his footsteps. Not only that, he is walking with you as you go through that. And there will be times where he is carrying you through that. Rest in that. Rest in that. David is going to come up now and lead us in one last song. And while he's doing that, we would like to pray with you. And, and, and this is fairly new for us as a church, you know, this whole praying after the service. We've done it before, but we're kind of getting into a pattern here. So just know, we're going to do it every week. So, so just know that we're going to invite you to pray. And if you don't pray, that's, well, that's on you. you know, we, we, we're going to do it because we love you. We're going to do it because we believe God wants to talk with you and, and God wants to do something with you and that, and that our prayer, it does something. Not our prayer, because we're nobody. But the, when the saints gather together and they pray together, stuff happens. And there are people here who know that. There are people in this room right now who have experienced the power of prayer. Kelly and I are going to be up here in front. Randy and Debbie are going to be in the back. And so if you're, you know, kind of shy about coming up front, fine. They'll be in the back. Go back there. Let them pray with you. Listen, persecution is not fun. True persecution will never be fun. If it's true persecution, it can't be fun. It's miserable. It's terrible. And if you're going through it because of your faith, 
then, then you might need prayer. I would encourage you to get prayer. Or if you know someone that's going through persecution, why don't you come up and let us pray with you for them? Or maybe someone's just being mean to you, being harsh to you because of your faith. Maybe they're even slandering you because of your faith. Come, get prayer. Or maybe, and this is the reality of many, you're afraid of persecution. Afraid that if I let my light shine, someone is going to persecute me. That's not the life that God called you to. That's not the faith God called you to. God called us to be bold in our faith, to do what he says and do it the way he says it, but to be do it fearlessly. And so if you're here and you're afraid to let your light shine, then come, let us pray with you. There's power when God's people come together in prayer. If you're here this morning and you don't feel as close to God as you think you should be, come let us pray. If you're here and there's something, something that's just wrong, whatever it might be, or you feel it's wrong, let us pray. If there's anything we can be praying about for you, just understand something. It blesses us to pray with you. We love praying with God's people. It's an expression of your faith, boldly expressing your faith, regardless of what anybody else thinks. So if you would, please stand. And then I'm going to pray. And then David is going to lead us in a song. And while he's leading us in this song, then I'm going to encourage you to come either up front with Kelly and I or in the back with, with, with Pastor Randy and Debbie, and you pray. Now, if you don't need prayer because your life is so perfect, that's okay. Then just stay there and worship. But if, if, if there is something that God needs to work on, then let us pray. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time, and we ask, Lord God, as we've talked about something as hard as persecution, I'm so thankful, God, that no matter what comes into my life, that you're right there with me. And if I'll do it in faith, if I'll trust you, and if I'll love you, and if I'll walk with you, that, that you're going to carry me through it. And it's the same thing that's true for all of us. It's not, it's, not, it's not a pastoral thing. It's not, you know, you know, I've somehow got something that no one else has. Lord, we all have the same thing. We have God in us and the Holy Spirit. And it will trust you and walk according to your will. No matter what comes into our life, you're always there. And so I thank you for that, Lord God. And there are times when life gets hard. Or we can see maybe a future where life might get hard. Or we can see or maybe something in our own heart that may be preventing us from, from doing whatever it is that we should be doing as an expression of your will, expression of your goodness and holiness and righteousness, that we're afraid to, to be your light, to be the light, that, Lord, you would, that you would do something, that you would start doing a work in us right now and to change us, Lord God so that we would go boldly from this place and be the light that someone needs to see so that they can escape the darkness, so that they can come into that intimate fellowship with you. And Lord, if there's anyone here or watching online who, who maybe doesn't know whether or not they're in the light or the dark, or we, should, we can know, I know, for me, 
I know, Lord God, that you called me out of the darkness. You, you took me out of the darkness and brought me into the light. And we can all know that. And so if there's anyone here or watching and they don't know that, or for those that are here, I pray that they would come and let us pray with them. If they're, if they're not here, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their heart. Your word tells us, Lord, to, to repent of our sins, to turn away from the life that we're living, and to receive the sacrifice of Christ, that Jesus, you went to the cross and died for our sin. And if we will believe, then you'll forgive us of our sins. And then you'll bring us out of the darkness and into the light. And we can experience the good that you have for our lives. As simple as just believing that. Believing that Jesus died for you. And repenting of your sins. The Bible says if you do that, you are forgiven. And that you are already destined for heaven. So I pray for all of us, Lord God, that we would all, we would all work on being light into this dark world. And the darker the world gets around us, the more it needs the light. And, th and there's a real, a real natural fear of that in, in our hearts, knowing that the brighter we shine, the more the world will hate it. And their hatred might result in something uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that our discomfort for that would be less than our discomfort from not pleasing you, that we would desire to live according to your will without any concern or very little concern about what the world thinks about it. And so I pray for us, Lord, that great swelling of faith that allows us to be beacons of light, beacons of hope and grace and mercy and peace, beacons that lead others to you. In the name of our matchless Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.